Welcome to the Surge Strength Podcast, powered by Ritter Sports Performance. This podcast is dedicated to helping swim coaches and swimmers learn how to properly implement dry land and strength training programs that result in moving better, reducing injuries, and swimming faster. Let's join your host, Chris Ritter. Welcome to another episode of the Surge Strength Podcast. Hope you're doing well. If you haven't already, check out the new free resource that we have created, gradeyourdryland.com. It's awesome to see how many coaches and swimmers are taking advantage of this new free assessment tool to see how is your dryland program right now. And then we give you help, resources, other tools to use to make your dryland program even better. So go to gradeyourdrylandprogram.com to check it out now. And this is such an important thing for us because individualizing dryland programming is really where you can get results and accelerate how well your swimmers are improving in dryland. Because in any group, especially in group training, this is where it gets really hard to individualize training. Obviously, if you're just working by yourself, coaching yourself, or working with another dryland coach one-on-one capacity, it's pretty easy to individualize the training. The tricky part is how do you individualize group training when you have 10, 15, 20, 30 plus athletes at one time? It can still be done. I did it for many years, but if you don't know how to approach it, it can seem very overwhelming, very daunting, and it can lead you to be frustrated. Because if you think about a group of athletes, let's say you have 30 athletes, for instance, you are absolutely going to have five, maybe a little bit more athletes that are on the lower end of the athletic spectrum in terms of just their strength, their movement, their overall athleticism. And they're probably going to be in over their head on some exercises or programming that you're doing. And on the other end, you probably are going to have five or more athletes that are extremely talented, extremely gifted athletically, very strong, powerful, and they're going to get bored or not challenged as much if you're programming to the middle of the group. So instead of programming to the middle of the group, we want you to program to everybody in the group. But that doesn't mean you're going to be running 40 different workouts for 40 different kids. There are slight adjustments that you can make in terms of the exercises, substituting one exercise for another based on the levels. And we have an article on swimswam.com this week that talks more in depth about the level system that we implement in surge strength. And so check those articles out if you haven't already. And this episode, we're going to dive into one of the workout variables that you can use to make sure you're individualizing your dryland program, and that's complexity. So remember, there are many workout variables that we can adjust for every workout, not saying that you need to adjust them for every workout, but these are the options that are available for you. And complexity is a big one that you can change to make sure you're meeting your athletes at the appropriate level. So this lesson is coming straight from the Surge Strength Dryland Certification Curriculum. And if you're interested in becoming SSDC, mark your calendars, April 26th, that's a Monday, we're going to be opening enrollment again for you to become Surge Strength Dryland Certified. We're only opening enrollment for a few days, so mark it on your calendars. You're going to want to jump on it. We are going to have a wait list available soon if we don't already, so check your email on that to make sure you don't miss this opportunity. But again, only for a few days, April 26th, mark your calendar. And then in the Dryland talk, 
Speaking of becoming SSDC, we talk with Peter Drukes, and he is out on the other end of the in the Atlantic on a small little island off the coast of the UK, and he is becoming SSDC. He hasn't passed the final certification yet, but still working through all the curriculum, and he has already learned and able to implement so much. And so it's awesome to catch up with him, especially being able to zoom across the ocean to bring him to you. So we're going to bring you part one of our interview that we did with Peter. Inside the Surge Strength Academy. The workout variable of complexity is what I'm going to be covering in this lesson. Now, complexity is the last of the eight workout variables that we're going to manipulate on a regular basis. Now, what it basically is, is, is this exercise a level one, two, or three? How complex is the actual exercise for the athlete? Now, difficult or being more difficult does not always equal better. You can get really good results having an athlete work at level one or two, and maybe An athlete might never even get to a level three exercise for a number of reasons, and that's okay. You can still maximize their work in level one or two, but for this workout variable, what we're talking about is basically if we're doing all level one exercises for one workout, and the next workout, we're doing level twos or moving from level twos to level threes. Remember, overall, we're just trying to continually progress the athlete and complexity and adding just a more complex exercise that they have to be more capable of is one way we can continue that training adaptation. So just remember, if you have an athlete that's just a really slow progressor for whatever reason, and they're stuck at level one or two, that's okay. They're still going to be able to get a lot better. The goal is to be level three at some point, but some athletes may never get to some level three exercises, and that's okay. It still should be the goal. So we have our typical example A here, workout. And what I'm going to do is then quickly go through exercises where I basically then in sample B went, okay, if I'm going a RDL plus barbell, what's a more complex exercise? And so again, maybe it's better for you to print out these slides and then you can look at them side by side to see A versus B in terms of level one or two versus level two or three. And so I'm just going to run through these real fast. Again, refer to module two for all of the other PDFs on the levels, and then for more in-depth um, queuing on all these exercises. I'm not going to go through all the queuings on this. But so for RDL, obviously it's more stable. You're on two legs, a barbell, versus you're still on two legs, but you have an asymmetrical load. So you're having to resist shifting. That in of itself makes it a more complex exercise, even if it's less weight. So that's the other thing to remember too. A more complex exercise does not always equals more weight. And in sometimes, more often than not, it usually means less weight because it's so intense. So having, if we had, let's say this athlete was doing just for the sake of it, uh, that's probably, yeah, 135 pounds there with that. And so half of 135 pounds, you're going to be looking at 65, 70 pounds, somewhere around that. So if the athlete had that in their hands, he doesn't, but if he did, that would be actually a lot harder, even though that's only half the weight. It's because he's asymmetrically loaded. So something really simple to understand, a push-up versus a decline push-up. So the feet are higher. It's going to make it a harder angle for the muscles to be able to get up and down on that. Split squat 
versus a single leg squat. Pretty self-explanatory on that versus two points of contact versus one. Uh, a chin-up versus the chest pull-up. Remember the chest pull-up, we're getting all the way to the chest, pulling that bar up there. So that's a more complex exercise. So sometimes more complex in the case of this does mean the athlete has to be stronger. But sometimes it could be more technique as well. So stir the pot is one. And I would say it's, it's a fairly similar strength to the bridge drag, but it is a coordination thing to be able to pull a resistance across and stay there versus just move the ball around and not fall. So it's not always strength, but sometimes it can be. But nonetheless, look at the levels, and that's really what you're looking at. Can we go from level one to two or two to three in terms of the complexity? So we have the single leg layout versus a single leg layout deadlift row with the cable. So you can see how that's more, a lot more complex than just that single leg layout where they're just reaching out. Then something like a waiter carry versus kneeling single arm press. Waiter carry is level one, kneeling single arm press level two. Goblet squat level one, overhead squat plus barbell level three. So that's a big jump there. Bat wings versus renegade row. So you got the push up there too. And see that. And th here's probably one of like the biggest, we're going back to, yes, it does take strength, but also the coordination as well. So the straight leg sit up is the foundation for the get up. If you can't do that, there's no way you're getting off the ground with a weight overhead. And so then if we see a get up here, even with a pretty light dumbbell, you can see if, if she can't do a straight leg sit, there's no way she's able to do that, much less the coordination of sweeping the leg under, getting up to that kneeling lunge position and then standing up. And so there is usually a combination of strength and coordination, but it's usually not always one or the other when we're talking about complexity. So remember, I want to go back to this slide because I think it's worth noting. You can still get great results. You can still really improve your athlete's strength, power, endurance, mobility, all of those things, even with just level one, two exercise. You don't need to think level three is the finish line. In fact, if you're able to do level three exercises, sometimes you may want to go back to level one just because it's different. You're trying to adapt and always have the body be able to change to the stimulus. So don't think... If my athletes are not in level three, they're not going to get stronger, more powerful. That's not the case. It's just complexity for this specific workout variable. That's something that we can change from workout A to workout B. So that concludes this lesson and all of the workout variables as well for the Surge Strength Dryland Certification. Dryland Talk. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks very much for having me, Chris. So where do we find you today? Where are you at? Um, I'm from a little island called Guernsey, which is just off the coast of France, but it's actually a British territory or at least a crown dependency. Okay, cool. How long have you been out there? Um, I was born here, um, left for maybe four years to go to university and then came back and I've been here for the last 10. Very cool. Very cool. So you were a swimmer growing up on some level? Uh, yeah, sw swimmer um, straight through my teen years, okay. university and back and uh, probably still going as a master swimmer now as well. Oh, but awesome. Haven't, haven't actually competed since uh, 2017, but it's only three years ago. 
Very cool. Did you do any other sports growing up? Um, bit of basketball, bit of netball, um, bit of football, but and maybe surfing is probably my other passion. But oh. aside from that, it's mainly swimming. <laughs> that, that fits well with the swimming. That fits well with the swimming. So talk yeah, to me about so. how at some point it seems like you really tried to dive into the personal training, strength and conditioning world. And especially that's interesting coming from a long swim background. I can kind of relate to that a little bit. Talk to me about what that was like as you're kind of diving into this other world here. Well, I think um, over university, we, we had very much a program that was 16 to about 18, 20 hours in the pool. Mm. Um, when I came back to the island, um, we're, we don't have as much pool time here. Um, so I was always looking for something to supplement it. And I think uh, my, my interest just peaked a lot with it from anything that I'd learned from a couple of the people um, at university as well. Um, when, we, when I came back here, I started just to plug away while doing my like, full-time job as a teacher. I just started plugging away at a few qualifications on the side and it just turned into a, very much a passion of mine um, just to try and learn as much as I can, to be honest. Very cool. So did you have dry land programming for you when you were a swimmer at, at any point during um, your career? At university, no. Um, we had one, one person try and come in maybe one season um, when I was in my 20s, maybe about 26. But aside from that, no, didn't really have that much of it here. Um, so it was very much a niche that I looked at and thought, well, no, I can probably um, learn this and I've got a passion for it. So it's definitely a route that I can see myself going down. That's awesome. So I'm assuming you're helping. Well, how many clubs are on the island? How many people in general are on this island? Give me a sense of the scope of it. Okay, so um, the island's only about 40 miles in circumference. It looks okay. like a bit of a tri- looks like a bit of a triangle. We've got two competitive clubs. Um, both of them have age ranges from probably eight. Eight is when uh, kids start coming into the club, and then both club both clubs have primarily, I would say, teenagers, and then you do have masters end uh, mm. to both clubs as well. Very and cool. there's always there always seems to be that middle gap where because we're such a small island we don't have a college or university system on the island so those ten, mm. those people tend to go off island for university and so we lose the twenty year olds. <laughs> That's funny. So talk to me about your your diving into personal training. Do you get a certification then start working with the swimmers or do you start working with the swimmers while you're getting more education and background? Talk to me about how that process played out. Yeah, so um, being a uh, secondary school teacher, it doesn't leave a lot of time to be able to study at the same time as maybe actively um, work with swimmers. So it very much started with me just plugging away at some qualifications. Um, I took a year off from teaching and in that year um, got qualified as a personal trainer. And then from there, I just started to build up knowledge and start to work with just individuals to begin with. Um, so it was very much, say, the like mid-20s to late-20s and then masters that I started working with um, in my club. And then it's only in the last maybe two and a half years, maybe three years that the club that I'm part of has started to change the way that they're going about um, swimming and looking at other elements that we can bring into it. And I've very much been pushing uh, my area and trying to get in there to try and um, just propel this forward, to be honest. That's cool. So it sounds like what you're doing, other coaches are seeing results where they maybe weren't necessarily thinking about dryland or they thinking about it a little bit more thanks to what you've been doing. Yeah, very much so. I'm, I'm, the head coach um, is very supportive of what I'm trying to bring to the table, and she's very happy leaving it in my hands, which I'm quite happy about, to be honest. Um, but th- there's a lot better dialogue with, between me and her, especially in the last year. We're very much trying to plan carefully together in terms of where the meets are during the year. Obviously, with COVID, that's been uh, 
kind of difficult to plan long term or short term, to be honest, with any of it. But I'm sure it's the same around the world. So do you reflect back, Peter, much on your swimming career as you're putting together dryland programs for the swimmers that you're working with and ever kind of think, man, if I would have had something like this or what kind of thoughts come through with that? I mean, I think that's probably the emphasis of why I'm doing it, to be honest. Uh, something like this wasn't around when I was in the pool. It, w- it would have been great, but then I was primarily a 400 IM swimmer, so I don't know if um, it would have translated as well. I mean, some conditioning would have been great, but I don't think I would have been hitting or doing some of the uh, sessions that I'm prescribing to some of the master swimmers who are maybe more geared towards 53 or 50 back. Yeah. Talk to me about how you first started. What, what's the first pitch you give? to a coach on the island there where you're thinking about trying to introduce some of this dry land training? Because I'm assuming they're doing nothing to this prior. Um, yeah, that, that's probably true. I think, I think what helps is uh, within Guernsey and there's these like minute islands around the world that mm. all, all get together every two years for a competition called the Island Games. Oh, and cool. so, so w- within that context, there's always a peak every two years that the clubs want to gear towards. And so where, where say we're competing against each other, the two clubs in Guernsey to begin with, we all come together as a squad for that competition if you're selected. And it was more that was the opportunity once the team was picked to start adding to mm. their training. And it was more those conversations I had with the association here where I wanted to get involved with not just my club, but also have the opportunity to help the other club at the same time and get that group together and form maybe a stronger bond before that competition as well. That's really cool. So how were the coaches, uh, were they receptive to that when you first approached them? Um, yeah, I think they were. I think they were. Uh, there's obviously concerns when it's um, outside of their knowledge. Right. Uh, I, think, I think health and safety has always been one one need. It's necessary, but it's also a stumbling block at times where you need to be careful in trying to push the envelope too much in what I want to accomplish and what they think is a bit too, I don't know, extreme at the time. No, I think that's a great point, Peter. And I think when some coaches that have no knowledge or background in dryland training, in some ways, I would prefer them to do nothing, right? Because that's safer than trying to go experiment and say, hey, let's yeah. you know, see what we could do today. But then when someone like yourself comes along that has some expertise, you're right. It's a little bit of tension back and forth of like, okay, I, I understand what I'm doing even though you may not feel comfortable. So how do you kind of work through that? And maybe what's the first talk with the swimmers like when you're starting to do dryland with them? I think with, um, say, the coaches or the directors of the club, I think it's very much just making sure you've got good communication back and forth. I think overall, whether it's planning for the season or having to, say, book courts and stuff like that around Mm. like our swimming center, um, there's got to be a constant flow of communication with that. Um, With with the swimmers, I think it's very much... um, because I'm part of the club and I still train with the swimmers as well, mm. it gives you quite, quite, quite an easy access to be chatting to the people that you're around all the time, whether it be 15, 14 year olds or some of the master swimmers, you're all in the pool five, six times a week together. So actually approaching those sorts of conversations is really easy. Mm. So how long, how long ago was this that you started to help with the, this dryland implementation? Uh, with the club, probably about two and a half years ago. Okay. So what does that first few weeks look like? Like, what was your goal in terms of, all right, they're going from no dry land to, I want them to be able to do X by a few weeks in or a few months in. How'd you look at that? My goal was very much, uh, especially, I'd say it was mainly focused towards the younger ones who were part mm-hmm. of the squad. So we had 14, 15 year olds that were making their first debut at the Island Games, having qualified. And so I was very much looking at them and design the sessions more towards them in introducing exercises, looking more at keeping tension, 
like for example, the one ex- uh, the one exercise I can think back to was um, any form of um, press up, but in terms of holding it in different positions, mm. more than say looking at them doing reps and getting as many reps as possible. It was more just to teach them the motion and make sure that their shoulders were strong and I wasn't going to do any damage because right. I only I only came on board within the last three month phase up to the competition. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's not like, Hey guys, let's change everything three months out from the meet. No, exactly. Um, it, to, primarily for me, it was make sure that they don't get injured in that time. So don't, I, I think, um, when I was preparing earlier, I was just thinking back to say when I started with them and actually I think one thing I remember now is I should go more simpler than maybe what I've done in the last year. I think mm. maybe I've got, maybe I've got caught up in wanting to go too fast. And I think it came up in one of your, um, uh, videos the other day is oh, very yeah. much no actually me me going back to what i did then it was very much simpler exercises but mm. because they're in heavy training that they're, they're still going to reap the benefits and they're still going to be working very hard during that session as well no that that's a great you know self-reflection peter can you flush that out a little bit more so other coaches can can get a better sense of how you even make that decision that oh maybe i should downgrade a little bit or, or simplify what we're doing with the swimmers how, how do you come to thinking something like that I mean, to be honest, I think I, I very much like to just accumulate knowledge. So I'm very active on finding, I mean, everyone can succumb to say Instagram and Facebook and stuff like that these days. So it's very easy to look at what other people are doing. Um, I know during lockdown last year, I was looking at the Facebook uh, swim coaches um, yeah. page for quite a bit. <laughs> and you, you see so many different elements of what people are doing. And sometimes you can get a bit carried away. You can write it down. You can think, oh yeah, I can use that in a session here. But actually having time to reflect, especially now because the island's back in its second lockdown, so there's no mm-hmm. swimming and no dry land at the minute. It's just giving me that little bit of time to think, actually, maybe what I was doing was too progressive at that time. And really I should, especially for the young ones, because each year we've got a set limit of, um, you have to, within my insurance for it, you have to be 14 and over to be able to come to my sessions. Oh, okay. So each year you add in say another right. group or another few swimmers as they come of age and straight away, you're already starting with say <laughs> one person from the masters who has 10 years experience in this right. stuff. And I need to definitely make the progressions for those people. But then you've got someone who hasn't done this before and you've got to make sure that you're starting right at the bottom with them. Yeah, absolutely. What, what I've found with situations like that too, is then you can almost test some of the other swimmers and have them coach the younger ones and see like how well are they picking it up? Right. And that you get some peer to peer coaching going on. What do you feel is your strongest strength when it comes to any part of a dry land program, Peter, it could be from planning implementation, whatever you want to pick. What do you feel like you're really good at? I think it's coaching coaching cues. Um, Mm. I think, I think, I think it comes from my teaching job as well, where just attention to detail is really important. Um, I haven't mentioned it so far. I'm actually a math teacher. So attention to detail is very, very important within my uh, main job. Um, I think, I think within any exercise, especially say for example, the hip hinge and trying to progress it to a Russian deadlift or, um, any, any form of, um, kettlebell swing in there. I think the attention to detail in it is so important in building it up and not rushing that progression through, um, within say the coaching cues of that in say, looking at where you're distribution of your weight is on your feet, in your heel, how the foot spreads, then up to your knee and where the knee shouldn't be moving too much, um, maybe a tiny bit, but really you don't want it to move at all and where the hips go back. I think those attention to details are what I really look carefully at when I'm in a session with swimmers. Mm. 
What does that first session look like when you're teaching some of those new swimmers in the group, something like the hinge or another exercise you want to pick? Oh, I'm happy to discuss the hinge because um, yeah. I, I think it's just fundamental, to be honest, for <laughs> good um, mechanics in terms of the um, posterior chain. Um, probably where I'd start with that is probably a wall touch. So get them to stand just, just slightly um, far enough away from a wall and see how they decide to try and get their bum to touch the wall. If mm. I want to progress it just slightly, then maybe I give them a PVC pipe to try and get them to have that feedback of where the pipe is in terms of where it should be in terms yeah. of um, touching in between your shoulders and on the top of, say, your backside. Um, and if that feedback's there, then it means that they can be a bit more self-sufficient in understanding what they're trying to do. Yeah. And that's great whenever you can create a situation like that, where you give the swimmer almost lanes to play in, like yeah. or say, okay, make sure you're touching the wall or that you feel the pipe. And then, especially when you're working with a group now that allows you to have time to maybe have attention with the others. And you're not just focused on those one or two new kids like that. No, exactly. Say, say with um, one of my best friends, who's a swimmer as well. I know that his hamstrings are extremely tight at the minute. So we're working on the hip hinge very carefully within say his program. But when it's a group of 15, 16 year olds and there's about 12 of them, you've only got so much time to be able to look at everyone's techniques. So having, having some form of feedback like that with the PVC pole is actually really useful for yourself, like you say. Yeah. Do you tell that in particular individual that's really tight, you know, some kind of, hey, be patient. It's going to take some time. You're not going to look like those guys out there that are, you know, 90 degrees to the ground. What's that like? Oh, no, um, very much. So. Like this, this individual has been to um, Commonwealth Games four times. Um, so it, he, he understands trusting the process, mm -hmm. taking everything slow and definitely he, he, I think one of his monikers is definitely 1% every day. So if he yeah. can improve his hamstring flexibility, mobility, or even just the length and the strength of it at different points, then he's happy with what I'm prescribing for him. Yeah. That, that's so fascinating too, that a swimmer can be at a very high level and then sometimes on land, a very basic level still, <laughs> and, and oh, to, to make sure you don't confuse those two, right? Yeah, very much so. Talk to me about an area of dryland that you're still trying to just improve or get more knowledge about. Is there any particular ones? Um, I mean, looking at uh, what's coming up on the course, the assessments is one mm. that I'm very much interested in. Um, I've, I've always um, wanted to go out and add a qualification to my arsenal, specifically one on, say, being able to judge a person by putting them through a few tests. Yeah, a few assessments to see how their body and how their mechanics are working before prescribing specific exercises. Um, I think that's important for any athlete, to be honest. We don't necessarily need to be discussing swimmers at this point. Um, I think the biggest one for me is definitely periodization. I mm. think yeah, I, I can read on it for days in terms of swimming or in terms of other sports, but I think no matter what, you're always going to have to adapt it and have as many tools in the belt for your periodization as possible. Yeah. Is there anything you've learned recently when it comes to periodization, say in the last year or two? Um, no, but I've got, I've got one little rabbit hole that I'm starting to research at the minute. It's more to do with um, females and their periodization around the menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. um, I, think, I think that's something which hasn't had a lot of research um, done into it, to be honest. Um, I've, I've, li I've listened to a couple of podcasts about, say, uh, the menstrual cycle around um, weight loss. But mm -hmm. I, I think it's kind of lacking. So it, it'd be interesting to go down that rabbit hole and just try and research it a bit more to see how it works for female swimmers compared to males. I think periodization more than any topic in dryland is probably the biggest rabbit hole you can go down. I mean, there's, there's like levels and levels of periodization. And I think that's the struggle sometimes for newer coaches coming into dryland 
is they feel they have to immediately get to the bottom of that rabbit hole, yeah. right? They need to understand everything about periodization. And it's probably like, that's probably the last thing you'll master when it comes to dry land training. Oh, Chris, I think my advice for them would be every rabbit hole you go down, just realize you're never coming out. You're never going to find a bottom. There's, as soon as you learn something, there's just so much more to learn. And to be honest, that, that's why I love it. I absolutely mm. love just learning all this stuff. So what's your process like when you're sitting down and going to plan a season and, and specifically thinking about the periodization of that season? Walk us through your thought process as you're kind of putting pen to paper. I mean, the communication with the um, head coach or the club first, because I need to know when, say, our major meets are. And we'll, we'll try and plan for two major ones throughout the season. I think some, some of the coaches in the club might think that we can try and peak swimmers at every single competition. But obviously, uh, I don't think that's possible. Um, I think then starting to try and break it down uh, into maybe six-month block or maybe five-month mm. block with maybe a bit of leeway in there, depending on what's going on. Um, with, with a lot of the younger swimmers, they've obviously got, um, school holidays, like at points where they'll have a week out. Um, normally some of the competitions do lie just as holidays start, which kind of helps because then they get a break afterwards. Then mm. we can come back to the table and start again after that. So I think it's very much break it up into two, two parts of the season and then start to group it up into specific times when, again, say the coach is going to start the season with endurance, then I'm going to do something similar in the gym or in my sessions with the swimmers at the beginning of the season as well. Yeah, absolutely. Looking back, what do you think your club and the swimmers you're working with have gained in the few years that you've been implementing this dry land that they would have maybe missed out on if, if it would have continued not to be a part of their program? I mean, in a holistic sense, I hope it's education and the knowledge, but mm. I think this is the educator at heart coming from me, to be honest. Um, I, they are a fantastic group. Like, I absolutely love um, getting to meet with this group and train them. Um, we've got some that are very inquisitive and want to ask questions and like the finer details. And then like you mentioned before, they will want to try and if they can have the opportunity to look at someone else's technique and maybe critique mm -hmm. it, they'll be very interested in doing that. Um, I think definitely the education part of it, because I, I feel like I do go into quite some depth when I'm going through exercise and trying to coach them on it. Do you remember a good question recently that the, the swimmer has asked you? I mean, it's not great for the podcast, but no, I can't. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. No worries. I just always think it's, it's amazing. Sometimes the things that they will think of, and I'm like, wow, you're really picking up what I'm teaching here. And that's good that like you're thinking that much further ahead. I feel like that always makes you feel good as a coach when you're getting yeah. good questions like, hey, they're actually listening to me and, and absorbing this information here. I think I think there was one um, scenario just before we went back into lockdown where one of our 15 um, year old boys, he was in the gym and one of our master swimmers just noticed him uh, squatting. And he's also part of the rugby, one of the rugby uh, setups in Guernsey as well. And he's been coached by the rugby team about how to do squats. And I just got a message off one of the masters from him saying, you need to talk to him. <laughs> that, that was the end of the message. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, when, when they're starting to self-coach like that, you know, it's really sticking what, what yeah. you're teaching to them at that point. So you got to feel good about that. Well, I felt good about it because it was obviously the master that values my knowledge in it and clearly thinks that I can correct it. <laughs> so that's so always a nice little confidence boost. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Have you joined the Surge Strength Academy yet? It's now free to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy and raise your dry land IQ. 
Visit surge-strength.com to learn more and enroll today. That's surge-strength.com to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy. The goal of Surge Strength is simple. Build better athletes to generate faster swimmers.